Jordan Goldstein, we are here, second podcast. What is going on, brother? How are you? Episode two, exciting. Um, we kind of botched it at the end of last one. I guess supposedly we run out after 30 minutes, so uh, a little bit of a, a dud on our end. And yeah, we wanted to lead the podcast by just saying, sorry about the fuck up. Now we know 30 minutes on the dot. We have content ready. Let's get into it. Amazing. So what, what do we got first on the agenda? So after kind of looking back at the first, first podcast, we wanted to kind of give an introduction into what the, the advanced analytics that we're going to be analyzing, what do they really mean and, and give you the tools to better understand when I'm saying these numbers, what do they actually correlate to? So let's get right into it. Yeah. I'll kind of tell you what it is and then you kind of tell me how you feel about it and we'll go from there. Yeah. Yeah, because I think just listening to the last pod, you know, you just dropped like 102, 101 and like all these numbers. And I, I, I don't think we have the appropriate context as to like what they mean. Um, so maybe we'll talk a little defensive rating, offensive rating, um, net ratings, et cetera. Okay, cool. Let's get right into it. The first thing I want to talk about is ORTG, which is offensive rating. And what that is, is an estimate. An estimate, so that's why I'm always saying like it's an estimate of points produced by players per 100 possessions. Now, that by itself is not super important. What's important is to understand like if you charted every player out in the league, where they would be. And we'll get into kind of what that is. And then the, the defensive rating is just the exact opposite, an estimate of points allowed per 100 possessions. So what do you think about those stats after kind of hearing – the true definition. Um, so essentially, they're they're measured on a per possession basis. So we are eliminating any spike from various eras that could take place due to pace or due to um, like high octane offenses. Um, it's all, it's trying to compare apples to apples in that sense. A hundred percent. And it's just a hundred possessions. So that's the number that this stat has chosen to use, but an estimate of offensive, a hundred possessions and an estimate of defense, a hundred possessions. And that produces like a number. And, and that's kind of the numbers we talked about yesterday. So when you say 104, 102, when you just drop it like that, what are you saying? Exactly. So we can, I'll, I'll lay it out for you. A great offensive player. And it is relative to usage rate. So you can't just look at this number and, and come to a conclusion. You need to compare it to the usage rate. So a player like LeBron James, a great player, but a player who, who pushes the pace and obviously has the ball a lot, his best case scenario is like a 125. Think of like 125, 120 as like you're having the best. You're so good per 100 possessions offensively that that is the outcome that comes. Plus, you know, 120. A terrible offensive player, like bad, would be like a like. Let's think of, who's like a bad player that comes to mind for you. Really bad. Um, someone who's just terrible on offense. Someone terrible uh, on offense. Probably. I mean, we spoke about him yesterday, but like Draymond Green is not really a great offensive player. He isn't a great offensive player, but he's still obviously. We would both conclude like an all-star caliber player. I'm talking a real dog shit player to really put this in perspective would be like – who's like really bad right now? I don't want to say the person that's coming to my mind. Um, 
<laughs> say it. <laughs> no, no, I don't want to say. But yeah, I'll say it. So like Alonzo Trier, for example, someone who like who like you're not really sure is he good, is he bad? He's like a 92 on offense, you know? Like these are players that just per 100 possessions are killing you and and you'll usually see when a player who's shooting a lot is putting up a 92, the team isn't winning, you know. Right. So that's the spectrum. It's LeBron James versus fringe uh NBA player is like will hit you at like a 92 essentially. Exactly. So just think of it as a 125 to 92 and of course there'll be outliers. We talked about we, we talked about some instances yesterday, but for sure there'll be outliers. And then defensive rating is the exact and who's the, who Yes. I was going to say so now who who do we have as elite defender? So let's talk like Giannis, we said yesterday, was like a 96, right? Right, exactly. And we talked about Ben Wallace, who was an 87. Think of that. If you're an 87, per 100 possessions, they're only scoring 87 points. They're holding points on you. That's remarkable. Yeah. And then then someone who's horrifying. So like we look at Devin Booker, he's like, what, 115? Exactly. It's just like, it's, you know, Carmelo Anthony in the end of his career, just like 117. You're just like. It, you cannot win because you're giving up so many points and and that's the spectrum there and all you need to do is kind of plot all the players you want to kind of get a sense of how good they are compared to each other how good they are offensively how good they are defensively and so how does now usage rate come into effect because we need to look at that as well so it's just something that i think it's hard to explain exactly how usage rate comes into effect true and true i would just say let it be a tool you use that if a player has a usage rate like 30, 32%, 28%, be a little more forgiving of the number just because they have the ball so much. They're pushing the pace so much. You know, there's going to be a downside to that. That a player like So LeBron, what's a high usage rate for let's let's talk spectrum, high usage rate versus low. Russell Westbrook in his MVP year was like, I think a 35 usage rate. Like just like <laughs> what the hell is going on? And then like Kyle Korver, I don't know this off the top of my head, but he's going to be more like a 14% usage rate. Okay. So wait, you said Russell Westbrook was a 45%? 35, 35. 35%. Okay. And that's the spectrum there. And cool. I think- so I think that gives us some context. That gives us some context on the advanced analytics. Um, and uh, I think with that, we can maybe jump into our latest game today. Which one thing that was kind of on my mind is like there's this sense in the NBA that like a player's like a winner or like until he gets it done, until he wins a championship, he's like not a winner. Like Durant, not a winner in Oklahoma City. And then he goes to to Golden State and now we crown him as this winner. Like everyone says, no, oh, now you're a winner. But to me, that's just a complete myth and, and kind of like ignorant to, to speak like that. So there's several players across their careers that they have not won a championship and within those list of players, I feel like it's important to differentiate the difference between a guy who actually hasn't won a championship, but is a winning basketball player and maybe another superstar who just doesn't do winning things on the court. So should we jump into a couple names? A hundred percent. And that was a great introduction. I think the advanced analytics are really going to bear out kind of how is a player a winning player because there's great players around him or is he a winning player just because that's what he is? You know what I mean? So yeah, let's definitely get into it. Let me hit you with some names first. Let's kind of start with Kev, uh, <laughs> Kevin Garnett. Oh, fuck. Um, 
so Kevin Garnett has won a championship. Obviously, he's uh, he's along with like this Kevin Durant list, which someone who we knew prior to leaving their team was a true alpha, incredible. Both of them were incredible defensively. Uh, I mean, amazing offensively. Really, no flaws to their game. To their game, they both could rim protect. They both can stretch the floor. Uh, I mean. Durant more than Garnett, but play multiple positions. So to me, there's just no reason to say that either of these guys are not a winner, which, and now that they won, no one would, would even say that. Um, but what are your thoughts on those guys? In terms of Kevin Garnett, I think obviously he got the ring for the Celtics, right? Yep. I think, yeah, I think with or without that, we're looking at an elite player. He's a 110 99. So, you know, just like we were talking about, a super, super elite defensive player and a really good offensive player. 24.7% usage rate. So I think whether he won a ring or not, this is a like truly an elite player. Um, the other player I wanted to ask you about was CP3. I know he gets a tough rap for kind of like not being a winner when push comes to shove. So what does the eye test tell us about Chris Paul in the regular season and Chris Paul in the postseason? Yeah, I mean, me personally, I try not to put like a ton of stock into regular season versus like postseason choking moments. I feel like if you played out thousands of those scenarios, maybe maybe the data wouldn't likely be the same every time just because like, you know, he didn't make a shot down the stretch in an important game and they lost in a game seven and didn't advance to the semis or conference finals, et cetera. So for sure. Um, but just as far as like Chris Paul as a player, it seems to me he's a hyper competitive guy he was extremely efficient throughout his whole career um he was the leader and best player definitively on multiple multiple 51 teams always in the mix every year him on his team in the early days i mean you cannot say that a team with tyson chandler david west and him is a is like the heat big three and then again he played with extremely flawed guys in los angeles with the clippers with Blake Griffin, short arms, can't rim protect. Again, total disaster modern NBA situation with DeAndre Jordan and him paired together down low. Never had a small forward. The situations were disasters. So this is in no way a, a, a reflection of Chris Paul being a losing player. He has done everything possible. And I'd be curious to know what do the advanced stats say about Chris Paul as like, can he be a, a number one player on your team to win you a championship? And I'm the stat, the advanced analytics, in my opinion, a hundred percent back it up, man. This is a, a career, a career. So this is a long career. 123, 105. 23% usage rate for a point guard, obviously pretty good. Um, the other stats that we didn't kind of introduce, offensive box plus minus and defensive box plus minus. Um He's a 5.3, 2.2. So just like truly a great defender for the point guard position. I think he's one of the most underrated players that comes to mind nowadays just because he kind of hasn't gotten it done in the postseason. So underrated, in my opinion, a winner for sure. No doubt about it. Let me get you, Let me get into the next one for you. Someone that I think is a very polarizing player, Steve Nash. Um, is he a winner regular season, postseason? What are your thoughts? So Steve Nash too kind of had a um, uh, a wide range of a career because in Dallas, I mean, there was no sense of him being like this alpha superstar player. 
Um, and for that reason, he walked and got paid not a ton of cash, um, or at least not a max, I believe, at the time, or Dallas wasn't offering him that max. So um, it wasn't until you kind of meshed a perfect system with his style of play that he was epic and won those two MVPs with the Dan Tony running gun son. So um, with that in mind, I would say he is a more flawed player than CP3 from what the eye test said. But stylistically, he was extremely efficient. He would really pick his spots. He was really crafty around the rim. He was an amazing three-point shooter. He was an amazing um, free-throw shooter. And he led this high-octane um, before-time kind of team. So I think, again, like in that given situation, in the right era, um, with the right team, the ball bounces a little bit better. Probably could have been a winning player, but I wouldn't take quite the same level of superstar player like a Chris Paul is. And dude, yeah, I think the stats also bear it out, man. 118-111, so we are talking about a flawed defender here, you know? This is someone who almost never had a positive defensive season, and I know that's not necessarily his role, but it really will hurt your bottom line over the course of the season and in the playoffs. Um, The two things I wanted to point out that definitely reinforce what you were saying is his true shooting percentage is off the charts. And for a guard uh, who's on the smaller side to have a true shooting percentage that high, I thought super impressive. His assist percentage, not his assist, but his assist percentage, you know, how involved he was with people who actually scored is also off the charts. So even if he wasn't getting the true assist, his impact on the court offensively passing it was truly off the charts and ahead of its time. So 100% there. Let me hit you with some – we're going to kind of flip it to some people that maybe get a bad rap now. We were obviously talking about real uh, all-stars of the game, but let me hit you with Allen Iverson. Polarizing career, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so Allen Iverson I would probably put in in more of that category of extremely inefficient and um, really like polarizing on the court, obviously, um, probably not a guy who's like, like bringing the team necessarily together, um, in the locker room and really seems like someone who was just chasing his shot for the most part. Again, he was, he would score so at sometimes like 35 points a game and maybe that's what the team needed him to do. But he, based on his size and his really like just gunning for for shots i couldn't even imagine if he played on a better team uh that it, it would he would really like work into this um like symbiotic system uh type of chemistry driven team he just didn't seem like that kind of guy for me and his best years in that regard chemistry wise were with mellow in denver with george carl as the coach um where they they did make the playoffs and had you know some success um, but like overall, yeah, kind of a guy chasing a shot. So I think the first thing I want to, I agree with you, dude. And I think the first thing I want to point out is we're talking about that offensive rating number, right? Allen Iverson's is a 105. We just talked about Chris Paul being a 123, Steve Nash being a 118. So that's kind of, this is where players that aren't efficient get tripped up. Why is he a 105? This was a high-volume scorer. This should be a 121, a 118, something like that. So I thought that was interesting. He's a 106 defensively. So the the double-edged sword of this is that it's kind of looking like he's a negative player. And that's kind of like, whoa. Obviously, probably the end of his career brought him down. So in his best years, he was good. But 
a 31.8 usage rate. He was a 3.5 on offense, and he was a pretty break-even defender. So I think I agree with you. I'm not sure in the right system if he'd be a great player. He really was an Allen Iverson first player. I think he kind of hurt himself more than he helped himself, and uh, the jury's still out on Do we have his best year numbers? I don't have them off the top of my head, but I'm sure they were like, I'm sure he was putting up like a 114. He was actually a pretty, he's a better defender than I, I thought. He's he's a better defender than Steve Nash. So I think his, his defense is a little underrated, but the inefficiency of his offense really hurts him. And he probably contributed to his teams being losing teams more than he helped them win games. Let me hit you with the last player for this segment. And it's someone that me and you go back and forth with so much. So I'm so happy we get to talk about him. Give me your take on Carmelo Anthony's career, his playoff woes, and kind of what that what the eye test means to that. So I think if you looked at the stats, and I mean, I really don't know from a stat perspective, but from the eye perspective, Carmelo's career is probably a tale of like two different players. In Denver, he was really good at like, he was a big body. Kobe once referred to him as like the hardest guy to, to defend. Um, and that's because he really was this like athletic, big body, would, was so efficient in like the mid-range at his certain spots, had good footwork, was, um, you know, like in the lane, um, going go to the free throw line. So I think those like first maybe five, six years in Denver were, yes, like this guy could maybe be a one or maybe not a one, but like at least a Dwayne Wade caliber guy. Although I think that abruptly came to an end where um, once he did take over a team and did not have a coaching situation and was kind of just like, okay, Mello, what can you like put the team on your back LeBron style? He became a complete disaster and was jacking up shots and really looked, I mean, took really tough low percentage shots. So uh, I would say like after year five, he probably has horrifying um, numbers and no, he's doesn't, isn't close to resembling uh, a superstar player or even maybe like a top three uh, player in like a, a big three. Yeah. So I'm a notorious Carmelo Anthony hater and the stats are a little interesting on this. He's a 108, 108. So no doubt Carmelo Anthony is a great offensive player. You know, he can get his shots and, and he, and in the first 10 years of his career, he got his shot. It's just that his, his mindset was never able adapt to adapt to being a role player. His usage rate is 30.4 for his career. In these last couple of years, it's been around 23%. So he just can't let it go. If he would have adapted to be a spot-up shooter, I think he really would have made it and been a Hall of Famer. Um, he never once had a positive defensive season. So you, I'll leave it at that. Like, how are you not going to – you're an athlete. You're coming out after one year at Syracuse. I agree with Ben Wallace that if – if they would have drafted him, it would have been a nightmare, man. Although he was an elite offensive talent, his defense is just horrible. And and I think he really contributed to teams losing. When you like watch him in New York, did you get a sense like this guy may have some level of mental illness? Yeah, I've said it multiple times, man. I think he's just like a deadly offensive player. Like he can take you one-on-one, -on -one, no doubt. But when it comes to like do you have your shit together? This is a sick human being. He, he, I don't think I've never spoke to any of his teammates. I'm a normal guy. I think if you spoke to his teammates, they would say this guy is delusional. He's, he's sick in the head. So it's not all. That's why I sometimes feel bad for Carmelo. Cause I'm like, I don't think it's his fault. I see him on first take. Like the dude's out of his fucking mind. So 
take it for what it is. Let let's hop into the second segment, yeah? Yeah. Okay, cool. I want you to start us out with this. <laughs> what is the general thought on where we are today in regards to coronavirus? How are you feeling? How how are you feel what it what are you thinking in terms of the future? Give me a little bit of Jordan Goldstein's insight into into coronavirus. So one thing I continuously see in the media is like flatten the curve, flatten the curve. Um, we're getting to the peak of the curve. Um, and obviously that data is probably very important in regards to saving lives, not overwhelming our hospitals. But one thing that doesn't seem to be really like talked about is the fact that like, even if the curve is flattened and the hospitals aren't overburdened, what level of like normal life will people live? Are people going to be going on the subway? Are people going to be going to a sporting event? Are people going to go to a concert? I just can't potentially seeing someone going to a restaurant spending $150 anytime in the near future. And so I have kind of a grim outlook on the next couple months, maybe until there's like a vaccine, a proven uh, I mean, vaccine, but maybe it doesn't take that long. Maybe we just need uh, a sure thing treatment so that people don't have the concern to be around in tight spaces with other people. So maybe there's just like this misconception that flattening the curve leads to us to having this perfect normal life again. I agree. And let me just start off with the numbers, dude. 1.7 million cases in the world, 100,000 deaths in the world, just in the United States alone, which I think is considered the epicenter of the coronavirus. Um, 18,000 deaths, 478,000 cases. So I just think the numbers are staggering. I think from an analytical perspective or, or trying to interpret where it's going to go, impossible to tell, man, like it's unprecedented one. So like, what are you referencing in regards to your projections? Um, I do see the curve flattening for sure in Italy and in Germany. I, I think the USA, even just this morning, just took the first step to building like a jump, like a, what you would jump off of, like when you're going into a pool, um, like a diving board, sorry. So <laughs> I agree with you. I think that we're definitely in for some tough times in the next two weeks for America in the United States, but there's a slight potential in about a week and a half, two weeks that we could start seeing less cases every single day and less deaths every day. For a for 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 a foreseeable future, starting in about two weeks. Positive, but still have no idea what that means for just living a normal life. I have no idea. I don't know how anyone could know. I think we're all just going to have to do this together and kind of see where it goes. So we'll update. We'll definitely come back to this maybe in about a week. Um, let's let's get into the last segment of the day. We're going to come to you with crazy prop bets. So Jordan, can you start us off with your your prop bet? Yeah, so um, one thing I was looking at that could be really interesting play is where Prince Harry and Meghan Merkel will move to next. For sure. So Bobana has this one on, and I'll just read you out the odds, going to get your thoughts on the matter. So it has uh, San Diego even money, London plus 155, home, home um, country or city of London. Yeah. Um, San Francisco plus 700, Vancouver 10 to 1, Toronto 15 to 1, Miami 30 to 1. Okay, cool. So my first thought is that I heard 
I heard they're getting cut off. I heard I heard the crown talking some shit that they think they won't be able to make it without them. So that would put some some interest on London, right? But but what I'm thinking is these are 21st century entrepreneurs. This Meg, it's Meghan Merkel, right? Or sorry, what's her name? Uh yeah, well, yeah, Meghan Merkel. Meghan Merkel. This is a woman's woman. I see them going to Montreal. Did you what did you say? What is the odds on Montreal? No Montreal. They got Toronto 15 to 1, Vancouver 10 to 1. No Montreal. Go Toronto. I could see these people. I I heard Toronto real estate is hot. I think Toronto's the value play right now and uh we'll definitely have to monitor this. This is this is the stuff that people need. Yeah. I mean, I really where does where does Bovada come in with this San Diego even money? I don't know. That's I, wild. That's wild to me. I mean, maybe they know something. Vegas isn't in the business of losing money, but I don't. I can't see them. I can't see Megan settling down in San Diego. I can't see it. I think I would go Vancouver ten to one right now. Just I like like Canada, boring, snow outdoors. I, I don't know. I agree with you. I think Canada's a sharp play, but we'll see as this develops. Let me talk you through one crazy prop bet that I've that I've had my eye on for quite some time now. Uh, fresh on my betting website, can't speak to if it's on everyone's website, but if it is, who is going to be the next pope after Francis? And and what I'm thinking is fucking Sean O'Malley from the U.S. is such a strong cardinal that. I think after we get through Corona, people are going to want a strong USA leadership. So when I saw Sean O'Malley on there, I was like, I think this is great value. He's about the sixth favorite. So you definitely are getting some return on your money. I wanted to talk about- Have we ab- ever had a US vote before? Don't, don't know. Irrelevant, not relevant. This is a pure speculation on his look, his being, his his in-touchness with God. Is he old? Doesn't What's matter. He doesn't age. It's really his relationship with God that this bet is being founded on. Like this guy speaks to God. He knows God. He's with God. I really see Sean O'Malley as the next Pope. But if not, who's the favorite? That's what I'm getting to right now. There is a blue chip five-tool prospect coming out of Ghana, Cardinal Peter Turkson, plus 350. All the Cardinals, dude, I'm not I'm not even exaggerating. All the Cardinals are talking about this guy. This guy, he's with God. He's not with God. He's listening to God. He's making up his own things. Doesn't matter for Pete Turkson. Um, he's the favorite right now. Money is pouring in. I don't think you'll get this price. I think let's revisit this in like two weeks. I think we see Peter Turkson minus 250. Wow. Yeah. We got to see where that sharp money comes in at. Do we know even when this thing gets decided by? No idea. This is a long term. This is that money that you have under the mattress that you're like, is it safe? Just letting it appreciate. Yeah. Let's let's make some money on some money. Scared money don't make money. And I think if you have that money, Peter Turkson at Ghana is sharp. And I think if you want to, if you're a USA guy, if you're America, you know, whatever, we're going Sean O'Malley. This guy knows God. This guy will get you your money. I like it. This is coming from the man who guessed act correctly the baby gender of the royal family. That's correct. Um, there was a lot of giveaways there. I don't know if they knew. I'm just going to say I knew. And I was super happy to cash that ticket. It gave me a lot of confidence that I could kind of understand 
when a woman was pregnant, what is coming out? Is it a man? Is it cisgender? Whatever it is, it's coming. We'll predict it. I hope we get some of those prop bets soon. And uh, yeah, we got two minutes left in the pod. Give me your closing thoughts, Jordan. What What's what's a hot topic we want to talk about? What's a, a concluding thought we want to talk about? Hit me with something. Uh, the 2020 NBA season is dead. And <laughs> LeBron choked once again. Yeah. Failed to bring home another another ring. Yeah. And I really think we should just end it on that note. And I agree with you, man. I think it's I think coronavirus is is LeBron's fault. Stephen A is right. Skip Bales is right. It's his fault. Like he choked. Like he could have just like told the league, like, yo, like, no, we're gonna keep playing. Like, no. But he didn't, man. And and it's his fault. And I think I think we should compare Michael Jordan to him while we have the chance, you know. I'm with you. All right, man. Beautiful.